0: In the beginning, God created the universe and a planet called Earth. Humans were formed in God's image to continue God's work. But soon, humans decided we want to live our way, not God's. Selfishness and violence filled the world. So God started over with just one family. And God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. The land around you is now yours. Your family will be my blessing to the entire world. In just a few generations, they grew into a large nation named Israel. The Egyptians became fearful and forced the Israelites to be their slaves. Through a humble leader named Moses, God led the Israelites in a great exodus back toward their Promised Land. Along the journey, God gave laws and commands to help the Israelites follow God's ways. Finally, after 40 years of struggle and complaining in the desert, the Israelites arrived back home in the Promised Land. In victory, the people worshipped God, but soon after, they turned from God and lived their own rebellious ways. This became a pattern from generation to generation. Now living back in their promised land, Israel continually struggled to follow God's ways. So Saul became Israel's first king, but he led the country poorly and turned his back on God. So God chose a courageous young man named David to be king. God blessed Israel greatly under David's leadership. David passed on his throne to his son, Solomon, who was full of God's wisdom. Solomon built a magnificent temple. But as the years passed, Solomon strayed from God and the country was torn apart in civil war. So God sent prophets as messengers to challenge the Israelites to return to God's better ways. But they wouldn't listen. God's people were forced out of the promised land, the temple was destroyed, and many were taken away as slaves. But God was still watching over them, speaking words of hope through the prophets. Sixty years later, this hope was realized when the Jewish people were freed to return to their promised land. God's prophets pointed to the future and a coming king, one who would fully restore Israel and bring a new kingdom of peace. So the Jewish people waited and hoped and God would not speak through the prophets again for four hundred years. Four hundred years passed since God spoke through the prophets. They were now ruled by the Roman Empire and the Jewish people longed for a Messiah to come and liberate them. Then, Mary, a young woman, still a virgin, gave birth to a boy named Jesus, meaning one who saves. Angels announced that he was the Messiah King, Overjoyed, a group of shepherds ran to tell everyone in sight, this birth was truly a miracle. When Jesus grew up, He faced the same temptations as all people, but always chose to follow God's ways. Jesus showed His closest followers, called disciples, how to live in the ways of God. He told them, The kingdom of God has come. Now turn from your ways to God's ways. Using profound stories called parables, Jesus challenged the Jewish people to search for the deep realities of God's kingdom. As crowds surrounded Jesus everywhere, he felt compassion for them, giving them food, healing their illnesses, and even raising people from the dead. Jesus was a different kind of king than expected. He wasn't a military leader. Instead, he led through compassion, justice, and loving those who were forgotten. The religious leaders were jealous of Jesus' huge following and shocked by His claims to be God's Son. He must be stopped, they thought. One night, while Jesus was praying, they sent an armed mob to drag Him away. Horrified, His disciples ran away and hid. The religious leaders questioned Jesus. Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? Jesus answered, I am, and you will see me seated next to God in power. Enraged, the leaders shouted, Any man who claims to be God must be executed. Pressured by the religious leaders and an angry crowd, the Roman governor sentenced Jesus to death. Like a criminal, Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross between two thieves. He cried out, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Darkness filled the skies, and Jesus breathed his last breath. Jesus was buried in a tomb and guarded by Roman soldiers. Two days later, Jesus' followers came to prepare his body for burial, but he and the soldiers were gone. Jesus began appearing, first to two men walking along the road, then to over 500 eyewitnesses.
1: Good morning, everybody. My name is Andy Hermanson. I uh, am the discipleship coordinator here at Hope Des Moines and. Uh, it's just a good morning to be here, is it not? A good morning to, to worship in God's house with God's people, uh, excited to be here. We, uh, we've been walking through a story, and, and I don't start uh, that by accident this morning with probably the longest video clip you're ever going to see here at Hope Des Moines. I mean, that was, that was five minutes of the Bible, and the thing about that entire story is that there's another, there's another video that covers the entire story that could add added three more minutes. There's a lot to God's story, isn't there? Lots of stuff, and I'm, I'm joking about the quiz, but one of the questions, I mean, as we come here today on this final day, as we're wrapping up God's story, uh, and I got the sense it's going to be a really, really good day. I mean, you got to ask yourself, like, what, what do you remember? I mean, we've been going through this for 31 weeks, and, and what sticks with us? So if you're new this morning, you're just coming, and you're like, well, what is the story, and what all is this? What, what is this crazy adventure that you're talking about? For 31 weeks, we've been walking through uh, this book, the Bible, and this is a certain edited version of the Bible that took all the major stories of Scripture and kind of put them in a linear fashion. So you can start with the beginning, and, and as today, you can, you can work, and we're going to get to, you can get all the way to the end, and you can have God's story from beginning to end, putting in uh, kind of a, a narrative form as is the way that it looks like. But like I said, my name's Andy and, and we're glad you're here. And I just, I just want you to know as we're starting out this morning as well that it's uh, it's just great to have you here. If, you, if you're if you coming in and you feel like, man, there's no room left, I can't find a chair. I know some of you having troubles with that this morning. We just want you to know that there's a place here. And and when we give those announcements and we say it's no accident, we believe it's no accident that you're here, that God wants to say something to you today, absolutely we mean that. We've been praying for, for everybody and we pray for these worship services. We pray for the people that's going to that God is going to bring here, and we're excited about that. But we've been walking through this story, and what an adventure it's been, right? 31 weeks, and you're walking through this, and there's been some high points. There's been some, some really great things. There's been some low points. There's been some stuff that you just... I'm still trying to understand. Uh, there's been some stuff. Apparently, I have a microphone right there. There's been some stuff that we're just, just trying to figure out. And as we dive into this today, uh, i just just beginning to understand the significance of what God's story has for us. And the thing is, as you walk through something like this, it'd be very easy just to look at this as a textbook, just as a book that you're studying to get the information from. But the thing about it, as you begin to understand God's story, something happens. It's a life-changing story. It's an exciting story. There's battles, there's wars, there's death, there's temptation. Some of this stuff, and one of the biggest things I've learned as I've been reading this book these last 31 weeks is some of the stuff in here, it's kind of rated R, right? I mean, is that new for any of us? I mean, we think the Bible sometimes is just this boring, dusty book that has nothing to say to us, but it's a wild adventure. And so we've been walking through this, we've been marching through this, and some of you that have been going to the small groups every week and discussing, I mean, it's been a long haul, but this story is amazing, the story is amazing, and the question I want to start with you this morning is, just like any good story, do you know how the story ends? Do you know how the story ends? Because here's the thing, as you read any story, as you watch any story unfold, whether it's in your life, whether it's in a movie, whether it's in a book that you're reading, the way that the story ends is important. And if you don't believe me, you're sitting there saying, whatever, preacher boy, this morning, that's fine. That's fine. I just want to point this out for you. I mean, think about this. If the ending is a dud, if it's a total misfire, what does it do? It ruins everything that led up to that point, right? Case in point, half of my sermons. I keep hitting them. There's a little short in this thing, apparently. All right, well, I'll try not to do that again, right? Case in point, my sermons. Have you ever been, and maybe it's not just my sermon, have you ever read a book or watched a movie or listened to someone speak publicly and you just think, all right, this has been a great talk. It's been a great sermon. Here we go. And they're starting to land the plane, you know. You can tell they're on final approach. They're going to come and they're going to drive at home. They're going to make that big point. And you're just coming in there and it's like, oh, we're going to go again. <laughs> and we're going to circle around a few more times and we're going to get there. And you're getting excited. Here we go. And we're going to go again. Okay, he's going to keep talking. What's, what's going on there, right? Right? It just keeps going on and on and on. And then some of you are looking at me like, yes, I've heard you do that, Andy. Yes, on <laughs> on and on. But the thing is, right? What do you, when you walk out of something that's been way too long, where the ending isn't that helpful, where it's, where it's a distraction, what do you walk out of the room thinking about? The things that you're late for, the things that just all of the, the thought process, you've already got your to-do list in your head because you had time to think about it during the day, right? If the ending isn't right it changes everything. And then there are the endings. So those are the endings that just go on and on. But what about the endings that you just don't understand? Or those endings that just leave you wanting more? It's a cliffhanger. Did any of you see the movie Inception? If you've ever seen that movie, it's one of those movies and I hate it when this happens, right? Just a little personal note, I'm a guy who likes closure, okay? I like it when everything fits nice and neat together and it all makes sense, right? But this... And I'm not going to go through the entire plot of the movie, but there's a top spinning at the end of this movie, Inception. And whether that top falls over because gravity has an effect on it or that top just keeps spinning for the rest of time, changes the entire three hours of that movie. Which brings me to the other reason why the end of a story is important. Because the ending can make a difference for the entire story. Have you ever read a great mystery novel where that last page, I mean, have you ever been tempted, you know, you're reading, you're like, what's going on? I just can't handle it anymore. And you're just tempted to go to that very last page, right? Because the end of the story unlocks everything. Brilliant authors, brilliant storytellers, they're so good at this. The end of the story is important. And I got to ask you this morning, Do you know how the story ends? And if you don't, you are in the right place. I'm so excited that you're here. Turn to the person next to you and say, you picked a great day to come. And you picked the right day to come because we're just, you know, it's no big deal. We're just going to talk about the book of Revelation, right? One of the most mysterious, uh, confounding, confusing, like just crazy books. How the story ends is really important. And it's especially important when we look at a book like the book of Revelation as it brings God's story to close because I'll just be honest with you. When I read the book of Revelation, for the most part, I see some guy that had way too much Mountain Dew, way too many Doritos, right? Right before he went to bed. Didn't your mom tell you not to do those things, right? And he had the craziest dream. If you read this stuff, it's really interesting. And so there's a lot of different ways and I'm sure as you walk in here you've got your own thoughts about the book of Revelation this morning. Some of the things you've heard, some of the things you believe. And I kind of want to boil that down because we have to be really careful with a book like this. Right? We have to know what's going on because the book of Revelation isn't your average piece of literature. Right? You have to make sure you have the proper understanding of it because you, otherwise if you read this, you might just end up on TV predicting the end of the world and you're going to look like an idiot when the world keeps going. I'm just saying, right? And just a disclaimer this morning, by the way, as well. I see if you, if you brought, if you got your bulletin out there, you're ready to take notes, and you got your pen, you're ready to go because you want to know when you can quit your job because I'm going to tell you when the end of the world is and you don't want to have to work for the last 24 hours. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have that for you today. But what I do have this morning is one of the most exciting endings to one of the most exciting stories that has ever been told. It's God's story. So if you want to understand Revelation, you've got to understand what's going on. You've got to understand who's writing. Who is he writing to? Why is he writing? You've got to understand how is he writing. What's the genre? What's, what's the tools that he uses to do it? So if you've got your story Bibles this morning, let's dig in. I want to turn to Revelation chapter 1. And if you have your story Bibles, it's page 460. Revelation 1. And like I said, you've got to know who the author is. You've got to know who the audience is. Who's, who's he speaking to? Well, the he in this case is John. And not the Apostle John, as we often think, but another John, somebody who's been a faithful Christian. And you've got to ask, who is John writing to? John is writing to the other Christians who live in the world, specifically seven churches. And as we've been going through this, the last part of the story, this last leg of the race, We uh, came up with this catchy title, Church on Fire, right? Because I wanted to see how many times I could bring fire into sermon illustrations, right? But also because as the church was born in Jerusalem, it spread across the Roman Empire like wildfire. But the thing is, the church didn't spread easily. It wasn't a place like you and I today. There was serious opposition. People were killed for being a part of their faith because belonging to a Christian community in that day meant going radically against the culture of the day. And so as the culture began to encounter Christianity, the persecution went up, but the church continued to spread anyway. And so John is writing into those seven churches in the middle here today, uh, on the, in the, what we call Turkey today. But I just wanted to give you a sense as we open up here in Revelation 1, page 460, who, what's, what's going on here? So, so he says, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos. So he's, he's introducing himself. His name is John, and he's a guy. Here's a couple of things we know about John. One, he's on an island, a deserted island probably, or at least an island uh, that isn't very favorable because we also know that he's been banished. He's been banished for sharing his faith. And here's the thing. If you're banished for sharing your faith, then we know that you probably love Jesus just a little bit. Right? What do we know about John? We know John is a guy who can't shut up about what God has done in his life and he's paying the process for it. But John also knows that there's these people scattered all over the globe and God has, has come to them through this vision that he's going to have here and through uh, this letter that he's about to write and at the end of that paragraph, God gives him his instructions. While you're on this island, this is what you're supposed to do. Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And they're listed there. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So John is writing to persecuted Christians all over the globe. But specifically, he's going to these seven churches. So what is Revelation about? Right? I mean, we've heard all these things about this book. We come in, we have all of these insights, these thoughts, these preconceived notions about it. But there must be something special about this book if God's going to use it to end the greatest story ever told. So what message is it that God's going to try and send to us today? And I want to spend the, last, the rest of our time today looking at, looking at three things, I think, that you need to know about the end of God's story. And let me just tell you, these three things, they change everything. This is one of those endings to the story that changes everything so again, if you've got your story Bibles, page 460, I just want to keep jumping right in. Let's, let's dive in and take a look. So John, is he's been sitting on the beach or whatever, hanging out on his island, and he hears this voice. So starting in that second paragraph, the one right after the names of all the seven churches, John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, right? Too many Doritos, I was telling you. And the lampstand was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. So far, so good. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. This is a picture of Jesus. And I gotta tell you, I laugh every time I read this passage. At least I snicker myself, and it's probably something no self-respecting pastor should do. But every time I read this and I look, I mean, it says his hair was, was white like wool, and he had boots that were glowing, and he's got a tongue that's a double-edged sword. Right? And I just think, if I were there and I saw this, I'd be like, hey, Jesus, it... Have you done something with your hair? I mean, what's going on? Right? This guy looks completely different. And the thing about Revelation is it offers all these pictures, these metaphors, these images, and it offers them in different places. So it's not just one big narrative. I mean, in general, we get the scope of the story. But it tells so much more in Revelation 19. It talks about that he's wearing a robe that's dipped in blood. He's got a tongue that is a sword that he will use to strike down the nations. This is not the Jesus that we even saw in the, in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospels earlier on in the story. Everything about this guy exudes power and authority. So maybe, maybe you've got this idea of Jesus, right? The, the, and John was up here a few weeks ago and offered some different images, things we look at, right? You've got precious moments, Jesus. It's like if you poked him too hard, he would probably cry, right? You've got homeboy Jesus. It's like, hey, how's it going, right? Right? Uh, Then you got Jesus that, you know, the the people were, uh, the religious leaders of the day, they were really scared of him because he could command a crowd. He could convince a massive group of people that what he had to say was true and that they should follow him, right? There was a fear that they had. But this Jesus, this Jesus is a guy we all have to fear for a completely different reason and my question to you this morning is you look at this and i i put a picture of lego jesus up there because that's all i could really find that didn't look cheesy right isn't that a little bit of a creepy picture i mean he's got a bronze silver sword coming out of his mouth he's got the seven stars in his hand but i just want you for a second i mean we we hear this stuff every once in a while maybe when we look at this book but i just want you to put it in your mind for a second what's really going on here? If that Jesus walked in here and stood up here this morning to talk to you, how would you react? It would be a little bit different, right? And my question for you this morning is, what is your view of Jesus? And more importantly, when you're praying, when you're in those moments of life where you just think, I got to throw the rescue line, right? I got to throw a prayer out there saying, God, come and rescue me who's the guy that you're praying to? Is it sweet little baby soft Jesus over here who smells like strawberries and plays with puppies all day, right? Or is it this guy over here who commands armies of angels? Have you ever been scared of Jesus? Should we be? Think about that. And it's no accident that Revelation starts out this way this morning because As the story comes to a close, as this guy died and was raised again and comes back in the power of his resurrection, it makes a big difference, not just in our story, but in the kind of person that Jesus is. And as we understand that, you guys, this guy is on a mission. He's on a mission to change everything. And so because of that, he goes to these seven churches and and as we jump through and we get to the next few books of the Bible, he talks about He's got some good news for these churches. He's got some bad news. And as I read this, I was just thinking, what is the news that God would write to the church of Hope Des Moines? What, what would God put in this letter? I mean, this is what he has to say to the Ephesians. He says, I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. It's all good, right? But he also says, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first to another church. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, he says. And it just keeps going on and on as he reads to each of these churches. He says, I know your deeds. Yet to another church, he says, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You see, just last week, John was up here talking about this idea that the Christian faith, living this life, it's like a race. And it's not just like a race. It's not a 5K. It's a marathon. And what God's doing here through the, the, through the author of this text, John, is he's showing up at mile 20, and he's saying, you've been doing great. There's some things you could work on, but you're doing great, and you need to keep going. Here's what you need to do. And what I love about this book is the fact that it says that God is in our corner. God's coming after us no matter how long it gets, no matter how slow, how clumsy we get in our walk with God as these churches veer off course. And sometimes, I mean, that's what we've learned in this story. Sometimes we just take the wheel and we veer it off into the ditch. But God comes after us anyway. Like I said, God is on a mission And he's on a mission to help these churches reach their mission, which brings us to the second thing we need to know about Revelation. First, Jesus coming back, he looks a little bit different. Maybe we should respect that. But the second one is that the battle is soon to be won. I mean, this warrior comes for a reason. Revelation 20, and the the book talks about this over and over again, but Revelation 20 unlays this picture of heaven. This picture of what's to come. And as he's reading this, as he's sharing the story, as John is recording this vision, eventually he comes to this sentence that says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Right? And in this picture, we get the the idea that someday death is going to be done. It's going to be gone, right? If you're going to pick someone up and throw them into a lake, especially a lake of fire, then what do you need to be able to do with those things? You have to be able to pick it up. You have to be able to get rid of it. And that is who Jesus is. And that's because Revelation tells us that this is what God's going to do. And you may be sitting there this morning, right? You may be sitting there saying, you know what, that's great. I'm glad you're up there, Andy. You're telling me that someday everything's going to be great. God's going to come back and he's going to make it all better. But it sure doesn't feel like it. And I don't buy it. And so I think maybe one of the things that would be helpful is is to think about it a little bit different. I want to pull an example uh, from history to talk about this. Like, Let's talk a little bit about World War II. And in order to do this, to talk about the Second World War, I want to invite my assistants to come up here. John has made me come up here with a rope and hold it in front of him so many times. I thought, well, it would be a great way to wrap up the story this morning, right? It's to talk about the story. When I say D-Day, how many people know what I'm talking about, right? June 6, 1944. It's the day of the single largest invasion. You guys can just stretch that rope across here. Single largest military invasion that we've ever done. For the first time, and the last time that they tried this before 1944, the last time it was successfully tried to go across the English Channel to get to the coast of France was in the 1600s. 150,000 soldiers, 30,000 vehicles in the air, the sky, the sea, all at once. Moving through. D Day was a really important thing, and the reason why it was important is because it was the turning point of the story. Now, the World War had been going on for a long time, right? It's a story, and it applies to us because if you imagine this line right here to be God's story, right? If we go down here to the beginning, we get Genesis, we get the fall, we get the battle, we begin to understand that half, at least half of this story, if not more, is just God's people in battle trying to figure out how to survive, trying to figure out how to do it right. And eventually God says, you know what, enough of this. It's time for me to launch my own D-Day invasion. And so he decides to send his son Jesus. And so Jesus comes and he dies on a cross. And he is raised from the dead, conquering death. But here's the thing. That's the middle of the story. And for those 150,000 soldiers that landed on the beach that day 9,000 were killed think about that for the ones that made it though was the story over absolutely not sure there'd been a victory and later scholars i mean people that study war that study history they would say that d-day invasion that is the turning point in the story that is the thing that made it so hitler his days were numbered but there's still all of the rest of this story to be lived and so if this is the death and resurrection of Jesus, this is, this is the D-Day invasion where God comes. The good news is, as we read this story today, is that V-Day is coming. I mean, D-Day in World War II and V-E-Day, victory in Europe Day, an entire year away. But what would it have been like for these soldiers living in this part of the story if they had a clear picture of exactly when that was coming. What if they even had... I mean, can you imagine being in the trenches, getting bombed and shot at, and even wondering, like, are we even going to win this thing? That is the hope that's been given us as we read Revelation. As you read this entire book, God's trying to say this one thing. I love you, and V-Day is coming. Let's give our assistants a round of applause. Thank you. All right, so V-Day is coming. That's what God's trying to say. But again, you sit there and you think, you know what, that's so great. That's really great. I'm so happy for you, Andy, that you have the ability. But what about my life right now? And I got to tell you, as I've been thinking about this, as I was working on this this idea that God's coming, that someday there's going to be no more tears, no more pain, death won't, won't be an issue. Life is going to be good. I just, I just got to tell you personally, that's been really challenged for me lately based on some of the stuff that I've seen some of my friends going through. Now, you, some of you, most of you probably know that at Lutheran Church, I hope we have multiple campuses. And with multiple campuses and lots of churches, I mean, we've got, we've got lots of pastors on staff. And one of the things that I've encountered the last few weeks, I mean, there's, there's been lots of great people. There's amazing people because we are part of an amazing church. And, and John and I work here at the Des Moines campus, but I also work part-time out of the West Des Moines. So I get to work with some great people And uh, one of the people that my wife Heather and I have really gotten to know over the last few years has been this couple. Their names are Grant and Nicole Woodley. And uh, the thing is for them, this Easter was incredibly different because as I'll just show you in a moment as as we watch the video, them making the announcement to the congregation, but, but these dear friends of mine, as everybody else around them is celebrating the fact that Jesus is risen from the grave. And if you were here and you saw the Easter sermon that we showed on DVD, I mean, there was this this family, the Timmerman family, that talked about uh, how their story, their battle with cancer was coming to an end because God had redeemed the situation. But little did we know at that time that my friends Nicole and Grant were just beginning their cancer story. So a few weeks ago, actually the week after Easter, they got up in front of the entire congregation in West Des Moines at our our other campus, and they made an announcement. And as you watch this, I just want you to think about the people that you know in your life that are fighting this very same battle. Let's take a look.
0: Pastor Nicole and Pastor Grant uh, interned here a few years ago, and then we called them to be uh, teaching pastors here as a clergy couple uh, a while back, and they have blessed us. You you have just you guys are truly a blessing to us on so many levels, and a lot of you know that firsthand because they've showed up in your hospital room or they've sat down and counseled you or they've prayed with you or they pointed you to Jesus in Bible studies or teachings or or messages or whatever it might be. They're just exceptionally faithful pastors. They're also um, a happily married, wonderful uh, couple, and they have three. Just ridiculously cute kids with with high energy. I mean, off the charts cute. There's no doubt about it. So I wanted Nicole to come up here today, and and she and Grant wanted to come up as well because they need to share some news with you about where they are in their story. And uh, it's time for us to be church for
2: them. Well, happy Easter. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Um, This Easter... uh, Easter never seems to get old, no matter how many times we go through Easter celebrations. And um, it's amazing that God speaks to you in new ways each Easter celebration. And for us as a family, God was speaking to us in new ways this Easter as we celebrated here at Hope during worship. We sat in worship with our kids and um, worshiped together as a family and heard the story Uh, again and again, but with new ears this year. And as the Timmermans were sharing their story about how God was in their midst and how God was showing up in the midst of their cancer story, um, we had just begun our cancer story. I had been diagnosed with uh, breast cancer the Thursday before Holy Week, so I was in the midst of Holy Week and going to appointments and getting pokes and prods and trying to figure out what was going on. so got the diagnosis and um, am blessed by great care at this point in the medical field and very fortunate to um, have great care providers. And there have been a couple of things that have come through at this point. The Timmermans were on the end or the tail end of their story and us just beginning, the things that we've seen so far are God is completely faithful um, through it all. He's showing up in amazing ways, in ways we'd never expected, through little things, through big things, um, just showing that He's present and He's with us. And um, the people that are around us that um, have been with us through the, the news and, and um, the staff uh, have been amazing support to us and been with us through it all. Um, so later this month, I will um, hopefully go undergo surgery. At this point, no chemo, and the hope is that I don't have to do any of that afterwards, uh, but we'll go through uh, double mastectomy and reconstructive surgery, and then um, hopefully no treatment after that, but um, I'd invite your prayers and support uh, for us as a family as we start the beginning of our, our journey.
3: We're going to be a church for you, Nicole, and, and Grant, you too. Grant, tell us. Uh...
1: So they go on to talk about already the ways that being a part of a community like this has, has blessed them and, and the, the pain of the battle has been reduced. But as Nicole was talking there in, in that video and saying that surgery was coming towards the end of the month, well, surgery day was Friday. And I know all of us are in situations like this often. I mean, all of us have somebody that we've seen probably go through something medically or financially or whatever, just we're an absolute challenge. But I just got to tell you this morning, as there's something incredibly powerful, something really intense about reading this story and trying to write a sermon as you're sitting in the waiting room down the street at Mercy Hospital waiting to get news about whether or not her cancer has spread just beyond uh, the main part of her body to all of, all of the other areas. And, and praise God that the answer was it hasn't gone anywhere. That was, that was unbelievable, yeah. But there's something that's really intense about looking at this, right? Because you read the story and I am standing up here telling you that you should believe this. Like You've got to believe this. The victory day is coming. But the thing is, if you read stories like that and you talk about it with people in the waiting room of a hospital, here's what happens. You have to decide if you believe this or not. And my question to you again this morning is, do you believe this? Not just do you know how the story ends, but do you believe what God's word, what God's story has to say? Do you believe the ending? Because again, the ending changes everything. And like I said, it's... This is just one example of countless, countless stories. Even as I look out here this morning, I see faces of people that have been just kicked in the gut by an enemy like cancer. But if you remember, this book isn't about predicting the future. It's it's not about figuring out when the end of the earth is going to come. It's about bringing up hope. It's about understanding that the story ends, and it's not just a random ending, but there's a hero that comes in the story And the the hero came to win. There's victory. And that's the second thing you need to know this morning about the story of Revelation. As it continues on, though, it gets to an even better point. I mean, we've talked this morning about this fact that Jesus is coming back. We've talked about this fact that Jesus came to kick the devil's tail, right? I mean, just to pick up death and all of those things that just push us around in this life, to just pick it up and just chuck it in. I mean, it just wasn't even a contest. And there's hope and there's power in it. And if we were to sit around here and share all of our stories today, it would just be very obvious to us that we need a warrior that's coming to fight for us. But the thing is, and this is the third thing this morning, is that we don't just have a warrior that's going to come and win for us. But when he comes and when that victory comes, life is going to be good. Turn to the person next to you and say, life is going to be good. All right? Let me read this to you from 21. This is why I threw the question up there, what do you think of when you think of heaven? Right? Because some of you were like mansions and, you know, limousines and pools you can sit beside all day. Right? Let me just give you a picture of what's coming. After this victory, John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Look. He said, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death, no more mourning, no crying, no pain for the old order of things have come away. Now that's one way to look at Revelation. When you think of heaven, though, what comes to mind? Right? I went with bacon because, I mean, nothing says heaven like bacon, right? Right? I mean, there are lots of things that you could put on there. But I'll tell you what, as, as I think about heaven, I can't help but think about this experience I had not too long ago when I lived in California. And then I had some friends come in town, just some dear friends. We had a chance to eat this meal. And I don't know if you can tell this by me. I, I wouldn't say that I'm way overweight, but I could, I could probably lose a few pounds. And here's the reality. I love food. There, I said it, all right? I love food. I, I don't just bring up the donut holes all the time because... It's just a funny thing to talk about. I mean, I'm a six to eight donut hole kind of guy on a Sunday morning, so I'll just throw that out there, right? But it's something about eating, especially with people that you love. is just a rich experience. And we were in California, and we had these friends fly in from out of state, and we just thought, what are we going to do? I mean, it was just one of those nights where you just wanted it to be amazing. We're driving around, we see this Italian restaurant, and I think, all right, let's go try that out. And it looked like, you know, we kind of heard it as kind of an expensive place, but I thought, you know what? These people are our friends, it's going to be worth it. And let me just tell you, you know you're in for a treat when you go to an Italian restaurant and the waiter himself is Italian, right? And he looked and he helped us with the menu and I have no clue, I tend to be indecisive and my wife is indecisive, so we're like, what do you think? And he just picked all this stuff and it was awesome and every time we're like, oh, I don't know, he, just would, he would just utter this phrase and I'm never going to forget this. The waiter in his Italian accent would just be like, hey, the night is young and so are we. I don't even know if that's an Italian accent, it's probably not, but right? But but he had this experience that he created for us and, and it started with these drinks. This wine showed up and it was amazing. Right? I'm not a salad guy, but this salad, this salad hit the spot. All right? And you guys, the bread. You have no idea how good this bread was. It was perfect. And it just was this experience. I mean, the ambiance is right. I forget the guy's name. I just need to go call him and thank him again. I'm talking about this meal a year later, right? But the entire thing was great. And by the time my entree, I mean, that main course showed up, I mean, I was just overwhelmed. I mean, partly because I'd stuffed myself, right? But partly because this night just could not get any better. The conversation was good. The experience was great. The food was amazing. But you know what I love most about that? was the time that I got to spend with these people that I loved. And it was one of those experiences I just did not, I did not want it to end. And I wonder if that's what John is talking about as he finishes up this book of Revelation and he just says there's going to be a river of life. The tree of life is going to be there. Do you remember the beginning of the story, the tree of life that Adam and Eve had? It's back. And this river runs through it brings life and we are going to be there forever and ever, you guys, life is going to be good. We've been walking through this story for 31 weeks now, and my question that I want to leave you with this morning is, how has the story changed you? I mean, as we read God's story, we begin to understand who God is, right? We learn more about him, but as you read the story, it's like it forms something in us, right? It changes us. And as we've walked through this journey, please take some time to look back. I mean, look ahead to the victory day, because what a day it's going to be. But what has this story formed in you? And I just thought it would be great this morning, just to take some time to think about that question as we wrap up, right? There's this whole worship service going on in heaven right now, and John has just given us a little taste of it. But what... As we've encountered God again and again through this story, what has this story formed in you? So let's take a look at this video and think what has God been saying to me these last 31 weeks?
3: As a church, we have been on a journey. We've spent time with God and we've spent time with each other. We've read the Bible studied in groups, and prayed. As we have breathed in the entire story of God, our lives have been changed. The great storyteller has taught us about His story, and He has impacted our story. Today, we have a greater understanding of our place in God's story. We are His children and continue to grow in Him each day. Stepping in faith to go as He has called us. We wait with great expectation for our King Jesus and the fullness of His Kingdom coming. This is my story. This is your story. This is the greatest story ever told. This is God's story.
1: It is the greatest story ever told because it reveals to us the greatest love ever bestowed by the greatest king that the world has ever known. And what a king he is. I, I hope as you've been sitting here this morning, maybe in one way or another, God has just opened your eyes to what a guy he is. And the thing is that God could be anywhere right now, but he's right here. He's right here with us. He could be off doing whatever he wants. But God came here to meet with you. And my plead with you this morning is please don't miss this moment. I invite you to stand. As this story comes to a close, and again, the three things that we need to know. One, that Jesus is coming back and he's on a mission. Two, he gets the job done. And three, the best part is that the story never ends. I love what it says in Revelation 4. It says, day and night. As as John is laying out this picture of heaven, it says, day and night. They, all the angels, all the people, everyone that God has gathered there in heaven, it says, day and night. They never stop saying these words. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then it lays out in the context of the story. Who was, who is, and is to come. God is here this morning. He is worthy of our praise, not just because of what he's done, but because who he is. So let's close this morning with a chance just to tell God what we think of him. Let's worship together.